I knew Corey was kind of always evaluating what his next best option was, and he had a lot of good ones. So I was never sure that he was going to stick around. I just knew that I had to keep presenting to him amazing opportunities and amazing future to keep him excited. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Thank you for joining this week's episode of the Tropical NBA. On this show, we talk a lot about apprenticeships. We've even hosted our own. And it got me a little bit curious in thinking after I talked to the two guests that we're going to share with you in just a few minutes about the history of apprenticeships. So I did what everybody does these days, and I went over to Wikipedia, and I found something interesting. A lot of developed countries, including the UK, Germany, Australia, have a robust apprenticeship track. Growing up in the U.S., I was not really aware of this. I thought we just went to college. It says 40% on Wikipedia of Australians enter apprenticeships. Wow, that's a lot. In America, out of the 318 million people, it says in 2016, only 500,000 were involved in apprenticeships. That's about 0.001% of the population. It got me thinking, I guess, this might be what a lot of Americans are thinking, is why would I enter an apprenticeship if I've learned everything I need to know from marketing from the University of Texas at the rate of $26,000 a year right now for in-state tuition? If you're out of state, $52,000 a year. Hmm. The last person I hired at a company that Dan and I had had a degree in business and said that she learned more in the first two years working within our organization than she did in her entire college career. For some people, according to the University of Texas tuition numbers, that could be $200,000. I think part of it for me is I like being a mentor. I like passing on the information that I've learned to others and watching them apply it to their own lives. If someone listening to this podcast wants to give me their full attention for four years and be paid, not pay like you would to the University of Texas, be paid Instead of paying their university tuition, I can promise you with the right attitude, you will be more successful than if you went to college. Some people listening are probably thinking that's a bold claim, but that's exactly the deal that my two guests this week made with each other. In today's show, we are going to bring you the story of an apprenticeship told from both sides, both by Jacob Poole and Corey Ames, who Jacob brought on into a company that he founded called Fire Gang Dental Marketing. It's a pretty interesting story with a few twists along the way. And so I'm just going to jump right into it. Here's Jake. I was having some coffees and just kind of networking with Corey's brother, Casey. We were just in the DC. He was in a similar network as me. And we just kind of jammed on how to grow our businesses. We got hip to this idea of hiring apprentices, which was the idea of hiring somebody who values trajectory and learning more than money at the time. And so he mentioned that his brother was interested and was looking for some kind of opportunity. So we said, hey, we have an opening, you know, managing projects or kind of helping out on the operations side. Do you think your brother would be interested in? And then he put us in contact. 
And just to touch on that idea right there that you mentioned, which was these people value trajectory over money. Is it that you weren't willing to pay a lot or is it that you were worried about overpaying for inexperience? That's a great question. I would say more the second. It's just very risky to me. And, and I feel like our business is, you know, our business, it's digital marketing. The things you learned two years ago are obsolete in school, in, in this industry, right? SEO five years ago is different than it is now. So it doesn't make sense to me to pay a lot for somebody who has tons of experience when we can just bring them on board now and get them to that same level in six to 12 months. And on top of that, it's fun. I mean, I really enjoy hiring young, passionate people. So Corey, what was your thought? Where were you at this point in your life? In February of 2014, that year, I was in my spring semester of my junior year at Gonzaga University in Spokane, Washington. Casey was living across the state in Seattle. I was working at a cafe. Uh, I was a barista. While being a full-time student doing that as well, working on what I had to, to be a small like affiliate website that I was trying to build. And I was just looking for really the fastest opportunity to get me to quit school. So at that point, I had already consciously decided that I was going to withdraw from school at the end of the semester. So I was looking for what was going to be you know, some sort of sustainable income at that point. Now, hold on a second. This is a big deal, right? Here's a guy that is in college, which is a privilege, I think, for most people. And you're saying, I don't want to be in school anymore. I want to quit my job. I've got, what, maybe a little affiliate website. How did you think this was going to go over with your family, with your peers? <laughs> well, not well. Both my parents are in education. My dad's a superintendent. My stepmom's a high school principal. And my mom's a teacher. So I knew it wasn't going to be received well. I just had this kind of disconnect. I was in studying abroad in Spain the semester before and coming back to Spokane, the same town that I grew up in. Felt a bit small and also slow. I just couldn't stand it. I just would sit in the class and like shake almost. I remember meeting Corey's parents after he decided to come on board. I went to watch one of his basketball games and they definitely were a little skeptical. They were kind of shaking hands and kind of looking at me sideways. Like, what are you doing? Why are you corrupting our son? Kind of thing. And so at that point, Corey, you made the decision to leave school on a leap of faith that this guy, Jake, was going to be able to provide you with some kind of insight into the real world. Was that the hope that you were going to accelerate your path beyond your peers? Or did you just think that the school thing isn't for me? I don't think at that point there was that much forethought. I was like working on this website while I was in Spain and it made me like $170 in December. And I thought like I'd made it and I was an entrepreneur and that was going to be it. But I quickly began to realize that that wasn't going to be enough income, you know, upon leaving school while in school being very supported. Like I thought I was going to work for Fire Game for maybe about a year or something like that. You know, that's what I had in mind, not necessarily something to be super sustainable or long term. So I was just looking for the quickest, like justifiable route to quit school. And Jake, from your perspective, you're bringing in these young minds, potentially corrupting them in the eye of their parents. How long did you think Corey was going to stick around at your company? Well, this is the thing. I constantly was thinking about it because I know Corey's really talented and, and a lot of young talent we bring in is really talented. They have options. And I look around at some of my peers and they bring in young talent and they go away. And so I knew Corey was kind of always evaluating what his next best option was. And he had a lot of good ones. So I was never sure that he was going to stick around. I just knew that I had to keep presenting to him amazing opportunities and amazing future to keep him excited. And so, Corey, you get in, you're thinking, hey, I'm going to be here a year. Did your mind change about that or did you start to see more opportunity? What were your thoughts those first couple months? 
early on, I still think that I had some sort of cap on the timeline. I started at like 10 hours a week and then just kept asking for more and more responsibility. I think before I went full-time, my last hourly cap was like 60 hours a week or something like that at minimum wage. You know, I was just looking for more responsibility, more opportunity to like continue learning just because I kind of became more and more hungry for it as I got into it. What was the driver behind that hunger? Why did you have that drive? This was sort of something as to why the opportunity itself to work with Firegang was appealing. Felt like it was an opportunity to sort of validate that like I could make an impact in an organization or that I do have, you know, an entrepreneurial spirit and aspirations. So it was a lot of validating what I thought before, you know, like skills that I may have, but hadn't really been confirmed, I guess, because it was all in my own head. And so Jake, Corey's asking for more and more responsibility as time goes on during his internship. Generally speaking, did you have an endpoint to when this would end? No, no. I just wanted to keep, you know, if he's doing well and it's making sense for us and I'm enjoying it, then we just wanted to keep going. But it was funny when he first came on board, you know, we had to figure out how much to pay because he was coming from a bagel shop, right? And so, you know, for me, I don't know anything about how good he is or what he's doing. And I remember he emailed me back and we said, okay, how much do you want to be paid? And he said, well, Washington State minimum wage is like $9. I was like, sold. I mean, if <laughs> <laughs> no argument there. So we quickly raised that after he proved himself. You know, he was just hungry. And so for me, it was just one foot in front of the other. What makes sense for the next step? There wasn't a whole lot of thinking ahead at this point. So in terms of thinking ahead, though, I mean, at some point, I feel like you may have seen more potential than just an intern in him. Yeah. So then he became full-time project manager. He came on as a full-time team member, right? Then he started taking on more responsibility. And in fact, I remember one day he kind of sent me a 30-minute video. It was like this vision, this outlining of the next five years of Fire Gang out of nowhere. It wasn't prompted, nothing. Which some people could say is your job. <laughs> right, exactly. So I'm like, this guy's doing my job better than me. So we sent it to my business partner. My business partner got so excited. And we're like, we kind of met up. We were like, okay, this guy is like legit. He's for real. You know, what can we do more? And that's when we decided that, okay, maybe we should bring him on as operations manager, run the whole operations team. So Corey, this is going all very fast, you know, internship to director of operations. Most of your peers would come to the job. They would negotiate maybe a little bit the salary. It would be decent. They would spend their weekends at the bar. They would go into the office, check in, check out. Why were you so aggressive? Well, for one, like I probably have one glass of wine a week, I think right now at 22 years old. That's a bit socially isolating for sure, but I've just constantly been focused on like consuming resources and learning and, you know, taking bigger and bigger opportunities. I read the four hour work week when I was 17. And for some reason like that, that just kind of gave me this insatiable desire or like affirmation that I could do and learn everything that I wanted. So it kind of like life became extremely negotiable, I think, at that point for me versus, you know, before that. One thing I've noticed with you, Corey, is that you don't really have that doubting voice. So anytime like Corey and I talk about new opportunities, he doesn't like second guess himself or have this limitation that voiceness has to tell him, oh, maybe you can't do it. Maybe you're, you don't have the skills. Maybe you're too young. Maybe all these things. He just doesn't have that. I don't know how you got rid of it, Corey, if you just were born without it, but you just don't have that nagging voice in your head, it seems like. And Jake, a lot of people in your position, and I've been on both sides of this before I've offered these internships and had people like Corey in the organization, but then I've also been in situations where I've had jobs and then I've been as aggressive, maybe not as aggressive as Corey, geez, but I've been aggressive in pushing forward what my agenda was and where I thought the company would go. And I've gotten shut down by a lot of CEOs. And it wasn't because my ideas were bad. It was just because they were intimidated by me coming in and through the organization so fast. 
And part of that, I think, has to do with what's happening with other people around me in the company, right? So you see somebody young like Corey come into your organization. He's throwing stuff all over the place. He's making waves. And you've got the guy sitting next to Corey that's been there for two years and Corey's already passed him. How do you deal with that as a CEO, Jake? How do you say, basically, Corey's better than you guys. I'm promoting him faster than any of you have ever been promoted. And he's got great ideas about this company, although he's only been here for a year. So far, the way that I've tried to deal with it is at the beginning, hiring people where that really wouldn't be a problem. So the people that we hire don't necessarily have those kind of perspectives or think that way or come across with that kind of vibe. At the same time, you know, there's very much a culture that we've tried to deliberately create, which is performance and responsibility dictate all, right? So if you're performing and you're getting the job done, you will be the one that gets the more responsibility. And so people can clearly see that Corey's doing that. You know, he's creating these visions, he's doing things extra, he's helping everywhere. And so it's easy choice. People kind of agree with the decision once it's made. And there was something that sort of opened the door on that early on. Literally something Jake said was that the person with the good enough plan, people will end up deferring to, you know? So I I really took that, I think, as an open door policy to start creating plans for the company. And as long as I did the work and put the effort into it, I felt as, you know, people around me would respond to that. And they have. All right. I got to cut in here real quick. If this is starting to sound like a modern day love story, you're right. But... It's going to turn. Just wait. Keep shoveling that popcorn in your mouth. You know, I've run these apprenticeships before, and they don't always go that smooth. And the hiccup is coming. Hold on. At this point, I had been promoted two times, and my pay hadn't changed. So I was at this point where I was starting to feel like, you know, a sense in, in devalued for the ideas and plans I was providing. At that point, it was like 2015 going into the winter. And I think at that point I had created a sense of what would be the plan for like the operational department or the company in 2016. And just kind of working my butt off, I felt, and I wasn't feeling valued still. I felt like I got deferred in the sense of like increasing my pay and all the opportunity that we had chatted about before. I didn't feel like a lot of that was coming into fruition. Were you feeling like you weren't getting valued in terms of your plans weren't going through or was it simply a money issue? No, my plans were being taken, but I didn't feel like I was being compensated correctly. And so Jake, what was your line of thinking for not giving Corey a raise? I think I took it for granted. At that point, he had proven himself so much and he had brought so much value that I, in retrospect, I probably needed to treat him like somebody who is experienced, you know, 40 years old, kind of has the experience. And I didn't because he was looking around at all the people he worked with and he was performing at a higher level, yet probably getting paid less than some of them. I took it for granted. I was like, oh, you know, he should be happy to have this opportunity. We're promoting him. I kind of lost touch with what he was thinking, how he was feeling. And Corey, from your perspective, what were your options? If you left Fire Gang, where did you think that you were going to make more money and have just as much responsibility? I still knew that Fire Gang was a good opportunity for me, but I felt as if I was creating you know, these large enough plans and exerting enough energy for this company, I could do that from my own company and start my own initiative. That site that I had been building in college you know, now actually produces like a living income. You know, so I figured that I would drive it into that first and foremost, you know, and then from there, figure out what I wanted to do next. Ah, interesting. So you were still working on your side projects when you were with the company? I was, yeah. 
I always knew that was his shiny object, and I always knew he could, you know, he listens to all these four-hour work week, and he's like, I can just quit my job and go to South America and live off affiliate website income. I knew that was, like, lingering at all times. That's something I lost track of, and that's where he kind of, like, started going towards that opportunity. And so how did you express your frustration to Jake, or did you? I didn't at first. I avoided confrontation. I think like many 21-year-olds would do. I don't know. I called him up. I thanked him for the opportunity and told him that I'd be, I'd be leaving. Ah, so Jake, what did you say to that? I was giving a presentation to some dentists and I was just finished the presentation and everything went well. It was the evening. I was in Seattle and uh, I was super excited. I saw I missed a phone call from Corey. I was like, oh, great. I'm on the way home. You know, I'm kind of on a high. What good news does Corey have for me? And uh, I listened to the voicemail and it was exactly this. It was, you know, had a good opportunity. Thanks for everything, Jake. It's been great. Like you, nothing against you, but I'm taking my talents to the affiliate game. It was devastating. You know, I had a lot of like negative thoughts. I was like, oh, I gave him this opportunity and I can't believe he's throwing it away like this. And he's too young to know what chance he has right now. And what are his parents telling him? You know what I mean? All these things. And, and so I worked through those because those aren't productive. I was like, well, this isn't going to get me anywhere. This is just going to get me like me and Corey to be on bad terms for the next five years. I called up a lot of my coaches, a lot of my friends, and just worked through it. And it took about a week or two to settle down. I approached him again and said, hey, let's revisit this. Let's talk about this. And for one, the main thing I did was apologize. I said, whatever I've done, if, if we haven't paid you enough, I'm sorry, didn't mean this. It's totally my fault. Took all the blame myself and started a conversation about what we can do to make it better. And so you guys didn't talk for a week? I don't think we did. I actually, I remember, Corey, I called you up. I was on the way to an airport. I was thinking I was flying somewhere. And we had a conversation and it wasn't good. I was real salty. I didn't hang up, but I did everything but hang up on him. And just took a few days off. So at least a week, I think, it was, you know, emotions boiling. I'm always really curious about the conversations that you had in between, like after that happened. And then when we decided to like reconstruct an agreement, like with your wife, with your coaches. I'm always really curious to how those went. It's a progression. So it starts out with like people that I know, they say, well, if he doesn't want the job, then you don't have to give him a job. I mean, he, he doesn't value it enough, you know? And then I realized, okay, well, what is my best business option here? And so I keep talking to my advisors and they say, well, maybe it might be to like see if you can give Corey what he wants and get it to work. So it started out really bad and then it kind of ended really well for you, Corey. <laughs> Did either of you think that it was going to end up in success a week after or were both you pretty convinced that this was the end it felt like a bad breakup invested so much energy in this person and and he leaves you a voicemail i could have texted you or sent you a snapchat it would have been different and so Corey, did you put this out there thinking like i'm gonna basically quit over voicemail and i think these guys are going to come back and get me what i want or were you 100 percent committed to your own path at that point no, I thought it was done as well, especially the next few phone conversations. The feeling was just it was awkward. There's a lot of beef going on. And so what was the turning point in you guys coming back together and thinking that this might still be a good option for both of you? For me, I think I said, hey, are you open to continuing discussions? Is this something you're dead set on? And I mean, he had nothing ahead of him. You know, I mean, he's done with college. I knew he didn't really have any options except for like going to doing South America. So I said, give me a chance to build up a proposal or something that you might enjoy or that might be more attractive than whatever you think you're going to do. And he was open to that. My future was rather flexible. Just to agree with Jake there. But I thought, why not? You know. And were you blaming Jake for all this? Or were you at the time thinking, I should have come forward and said why I was unhappy earlier? I probably didn't have that realization until like six to 12 months after or now. 
<laughs> on this call potentially right now. <laughs> it sounds like you guys worked it out, obviously, and so we don't have to go into the details of exactly what that compensation was. But at that time, Corey, did you start to feel like, hey, now I'm starting to be compensated for what the work is that I feel like I'm doing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I remember reviewing the offer from Jake and leaving that call. I felt like really excited for all the value that was put in there. And the thing was, it wasn't, the compensation was just a small part of it. You know, a lot of the offer was unconventional and built a lot of value that wasn't money. So what I was figuring to do was build a one to two year plan that was more exciting than traveling around Asia and South America, living off affiliate income, which is pretty freaking exciting. So I had to build something that looked better. What became really big, I guess, was you know the fact that my development started to circle entirely around the company. So I dropped my side projects, and I thought that was an opportunity just in itself. So my time spent after hours was you know more so focused around reading management texts, leadership texts, business development texts, everything. You know, my full day started circling back into the work that was going on with Fire Gang, and the opportunity for myself, I guess, like just it's all connected. I got coaching. You know, Jake's mentorship was you know really dedicated. He was widely available to me all the time, you know, with whatever topic I wanted to learn and pursue. I felt like there was no ceiling at that point, I guess, for there was a cap. You know, we tried to come to an agreement like, you know, by the time you're working for Fire Gang until you're 23, you know, based off of this agreement. And within that, I felt like, you know, I just had all the opportunity to develop like within Fire Gang. It sounds like you guys put together a timeline, right, to reevaluate your relationship. And what is that, a year and a half from now or a year from now? My birthday is next June. I'll be 23. Yeah. Yeah. It was always his birthdays were always the checkpoints. I think that's fairly unconventional, right? Like for most companies and most employees, the idea is like, well, you'll be here until you're not here and either I'm going to decide that or you're going to decide that. But in the case of your company, you say we come together on this date and we decide if we're going to continue moving forward together. I know some talented young folks who come into companies, they also don't want to feel locked in for 20 or 30 years. And so it gives people breathing room on their end. And then for me, I mean, obviously, I want Corey to be around forever, but I can't control that. And so, you know, it allows me to plan and come up with the next one to two year plan that is going to get him excited. And hopefully, in the end, that actually increases the chances that we're going to work together over the long term. And Jake, how do you view the dependency? I mean, how does that feel to you? It's a necessary evil. It's something that I've got to deal with. We are highly dependent on Corey, but he could leave at any moment. And if he does, then I just kind of view it as I didn't do a good job of offering him enough of an incentive or a bright enough future to keep him around. He just went off to a better alternative. And Corey, knowing that, I assume that you guys have had open conversations about that. Do you find yourself thinking like in a greedy way, like this company is really dependent on my skills and my services? I can kind of do what I want, ask for as much money as I want. It doesn't. I mean, I imagine to some extent, you know, or in some way that, you know, like my position could be replaced, you know, and could find someone who would do a really good job. I do like to believe that, you know, my skills and strengths are very unique. I think that's maybe perhaps all of us, but I I don't look at it in the sense of a greedy type way. I kind of want to, you know, for the extent that I'm with Fire Gang, continue to contribute and give as much as I can. And so, Jake, you're building a team, and it seems like you have a couple other people that you brought in under this internship model. Tell me a little bit about why you value this model so much and how you see the future of internships morphing into full-time employment. I value this model. One, I think it's a major competitive advantage for us. With the nature of digital marketing, it really lends itself to people who are very passionate and want to learn very quickly. 
And this internship model plays into that. So I look at people like on our team, like the other interns or apprentices we brought on, and our competitive companies who have people in similar positions, they're not nearly as skilled as our team because our team is so passionate and so hungry and has so much energy that there's no way they can compete. And quite honestly, it's fun. I mean, it's fun filling your company with a bunch of people who are just excited you know, to get up every day and learn this stuff. And how much of it for you, Jake, is being a mentor? Probably more than I think. It is definitely fun and it's kind of a way that I've learned all these things over the past 10 years and now I'm able to bring people on and say, hey, you know, I've skinned my knees and I've learned things the hard way. Don't make these same mistakes. And I think I do get something out of that. And in your hiring process, you know, because it's unique to find people like you, Corey, just have this crazy drive and hunger. Jake, how do you find these personalities like Corey or are they just so rare? I mean, if Corey wasn't working with us, he would have started his own company, right? And he started his own affiliate site or service company. And those people are all over the place. I think it's rare that they choose to work in a company. I think the key to that was it's just a different way we're going about it. So the way that I find them is hang out where aspiring entrepreneurs hang out and where people who read the four-hour workweek hang out and hang out with friends who have friends who have friends who read the four-hour workweek. Masterminds, paid mastermind groups, you know, having coffees in every city I can with as many entrepreneurs as possible, hanging out with as many entrepreneurial circles as possible. The Travel MBA podcast audience is huge. I remember you guys did a podcast on apprenticeships like a year ago. And my first thought was to go onto your page and comment on the first comment so all these people would come in and see that we're hiring apprentices. Because I would imagine you guys have tons of people who want these apprenticeships. Yeah, I think there's a fair amount of people that want the apprenticeships, but you know, it only works with certain types of people. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that, Jake. You know, Previously, Dan and I had a company that employed 15 plus people, and we had a very similar model to this. And actually, not just like Corey, but a couple Corey prototypes in our company that rose to the ranks, and we had to deal with some of these different issues. But once the company gets a little bit bigger, I found it not feasible to have this model for every position in the company. And so I'm curious what you guys are thinking. The model that we've perfected or hopefully done well at so far is having apprentice come in and build out the position or pave the way in, let's say, the marketing department. We brought on an apprentice that really took our marketing department from nothing to amazing. And then after that, we hire in people who are you know more stable, traditional hires. So I do agree. We're, we're about 18 people, and three of them started out as apprentices. And the three of them that started out as apprentices or interns actually have rose to run all three departments, operations, marketing, and sales. But yeah, eventually we do run out of opportunities for those folks, and I have to just be ready for them to leave. Corey, how do your team members feel in those positions maybe where they're not as aggressive? They're certainly great people, hard workers. Is there a distinct difference in those people that you work with? I think it's a different sort of form of aggression. I mean, our team is phenomenal, really. I think it's a lot more focused around like, you know, mastery in that position or in that skill. I struggle personally to do the same thing twice. You know, I get bored of a job if I do it for too long. So I need another new opportunity, another new problem to solve, another new challenge. So the people that we do have like are just a different form of aggressive, I'd say. They're more so, you know, experts and masters in the skills that we hired them for. I think that's an important distinction, right, is that people like you, Corey, will actually just leave one day. 
like you almost did. And a lot of other people are very happy and content to continue to develop their skills down a path of expertise and it makes sense for them. But for you, you're kind of on like a different journey, right? You're on a seek and destroy journey. I'm going to continue to keep moving journey. That's why you have these evaluations every year, it seems like, is because your journey is a little bit different and not necessarily better than other people. And so, Corey, now that we're at current day, nearing the end of 2016, I heard some exciting news. You are now the director of operations, but soon you will be the CEO. What does that mean to you? It feels like it's an opportunity to solve the largest problems in the company. I mean, it's like the largest opportunity that I could possibly get, you know, in developing within Firegang. And there's no ceiling on that position, you know, in that sense. The vision that I can create for the company, you know, and how I can work with the people and lead the people. It's definitely like a huge, huge challenge and an opportunity itself. Now, I've got to imagine, Corey, CEO at 22 must feel pretty good, but there's going to be some unique challenges with that. One, for example, is managing and hiring people that are older than you. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be a mountain of challenges that I can't even foresee, I imagine. One of which is just to stay, I think, open and receptive. That's ultimately what I feel has gotten me to this position is constantly being open to learning from everybody around me. Like I said, our team's phenomenal and I continue to learn from those people all the time. Just recently, just right now, I feel like in the last week or two, Jake and I have kind of been out of alignment of sorts. And I think that's because of myself. It's like I forgot to remain open, you know, like I started closing up to feedback and learning and consuming resources. And that's just kind of like a reality check that I need to like constantly give myself is like, I need to learn. I need to be open. I need to be receptive to feedback from everybody everybody on my team. Before we made the decision to bring Corey as CEO, my partner and I, we kind of asked around the company what they thought of Corey and how it was going. And they said the number one thing was Corey's great, not perfect, but he's always open. He's always open to change. He's always open to feedback. And my thought was no matter what happens, as long as he can be open and adjust, we should be fine. And Jake, for you, what does that mean? I'm assuming that you were the CEO before Corey. Yes. For me, that means slowly kind of stepping out and gradually reducing my hours as I train Corey. It's funny, at a presentation with Derek Sivers at DCBKK two years ago, one of his main takeaways for me was he wishes people just approach things with the attitude of, let's just see how it goes. That's how I'm approaching this is we're going to do everything we can to put in a position to succeed, but we'll just see how it goes. I'm going to step out of the company 100% the end of next year and see how it goes. Wow. And what's your motivation for leaving the company that you started? I also feel like, Corey, I need the next thing. I may start another company. I may team up with some people to start another company. But I kind of want to see how it goes as well. You know, I want to see if this thing that we've built, if it's 100% reliant on me, or do we actually build a thing that can exist without me? Tell me a little bit about the transition. How would you guys approach this? Slowly. For sure, with lots and lots of support on my side, at least giving Corey, you know, business coaching, mastermind support groups, friends, and then support from me. So it's going to be slow and supportive all the way throughout is the plan. If I could like make the world more like I want to see it, I would have more companies sit down with their employees and co-create a future together versus what I learned when I first started was I wanted to control and like I'm a puppet master, right? And I want to control how things go. And I don't think that leads to like the future that I want. I don't know how I would grow a company with that way of thinking because nobody wants to work in that environment. It feels good every six months or a year to sit down with all of our employees and say, what do you want? You know, and like, how can I create what you want? And that's what I think leads to, you know, our growth and retaining amazing people. I'd agree. I think in the sense of if the growth of your company is totally dependent on you and your vision, 
then that's a huge bottleneck there. So why not get people in your company who align with your core values and invite them, you know, to see what growth looks like for the company. I think that's where just the sky's the limit for us at Fire Gang is because we have a whole bunch of people who have that open invitation. One of the things, though, that I question about that strategy, and I've used this strategy before, actually, and I found it to be very helpful, but how do you guys control the finances of the company? Because everybody can kind of have a vision and everybody can kind of decide, hey, this is what I want to work on during the day. But at the end of the day, the bottom line is that it's a business and it has to turn a profit. And a lot of times the amount of profit is dictated by the CEO or the owner of the company. How do those conversations happen? That's something we're trying to decide right now. The more I think about it, and I mean, talk to me in a year, the more I think that the only way to align everyone to create a vision is to have some sort of profit share where everyone benefits from the upside and whether or not the vision succeeds. So that's what I've been thinking about a lot about lately. It's interesting, Jake, when you say profit share and everyone shares on the upside, but I'm also curious about the downside because one of the benefits of being an employee is that you don't really have to share in the downside. When times are tough, it's the owner of the company that rolls out his personal wallet and pays everybody at the end of the two weeks. It's the owner that goes bankrupt. It's the owner that has to close the door. So how do the employees really share in the downside of the business? We won't know until it happens. I mean, they probably, some would do it well, some would not. That's the cost benefit of actually sharing in the vision. So if you share in the vision and you want to dictate where the company's going to go, then you're also going to live and die by that, right? So we have to hire people that are willing to take that risk. And people like Corey, they are. You know, he's like, I'm in. And if my vision doesn't work, then I'm not going to get paid for it. And Corey, for you, you know, here's a guy that is going to be stepping out of the company and I assume still making a decent amount of money because he owns the company. How does that make you feel that you're going to be running the show and he's going to be basically doing zero work at the end of next year? I love that you asked that, Ian, because I have been wondering that as well. (laughs) It feels like it's just like it's kind of well-deserved, I guess, from Jake's perspective or where he's at. I don't have any like sort of, you know, animosity for that just because I feel as if I have an entrepreneur sense of my own. It makes sense to me. I don't know if I can essentially speak for the same like mindset that a lot of our employees have. Again, I think it's really important you know, to reflect on who you're hiring and who you're bringing in and the type of people that you do. So we're extremely, extremely cautious about that. And while I'm sure there's going to be some hiccups for sure, I imagine that we'll have a lot of opportunity to work through them with the people that we have. Because essentially what you're saying here is entrepreneurial people in the organization will understand that Jake built the business for four or five years. Now he's bowing out. Other people are coming in. He'd like a retirement. But then, you know, there are going to be people that come in and are resentful about that, don't understand what it means to be entrepreneurial and bow out of a company and start something else. It sounds like you guys haven't figured this out yet. Yeah. So I, I am curious, Ian, what are your thoughts? It sounds like you might have some thoughts or you have experience with this kind of thing. What do you think? I do have some experience. I think we sold the company about at the point where you guys are at. So I don't have a bunch of experience past what you guys are doing now. But my approach was basically to share the information with the people that could actually do something with it and that could actually make informed decisions on the information and not necessarily puppeteer or hide that information from other people, but it just wasn't helping them to get their job done. And so in that respect, I think it was hurtful for them to know that information and maybe have some resentfulness around it because they don't necessarily understand because they're not entrepreneurial how you got to those numbers and how the company operates and why this is actually fair. I think it's fascinating. I think I'm super curious. I don't know if anyone has any experience in the comments of the podcast page. I would love to hear from people because we are at this point exactly right now. 
One thing that I can also share, Jake, that is similar between our organization and your organization now is like, we always wanted to do things because it was exciting and interesting, right? So it's like, let's do internships. Let's share this financial information with people because it felt fun, right? Because people like you, Corey, got to see the inside of this business in a way that you would only be able to do if there was someone like entrepreneurial like Jake at the helm. I used to call it like playing with house money, basically. The flip side of that is like, you know, there's certain things in business that just work and that aren't worth like totally innovating on, right? So it's like, you can kind of see this with companies like Buffer, right? It's like they like opened up like all their financials to everybody and everybody can kind of see what's going on. And then you kind of see like a pullback at some point, right? So it's like, well, maybe that was a good idea and maybe it was like really fun, but was it the best for our company? Were we just doing it because it was fun and innovative? It's like some things, you know, are maybe left traditional for a reason, if that makes sense, Jake. Completely agree. In fact, Corey and I talk a lot. You know, there's this trend of bucking the idea of the old corporation from the 1960s and 70s. And then there's this like backlash against that. And a lot of times what Corey and I talk about is the backlash almost has gone, in my judgment, too far. And the answer is probably in the middle. So a lot of times what we're at now, I'm drawing from my experience at a big, huge oil company right out of college. I'm actually thinking back to how they ran things and implementing a lot of the same processes and procedures they had because they have done it right for you know 70 years. And there's probably a reason they have things the way they have them. And Corey, what are your thoughts? I mean, it sounds like you didn't really have a traditional corporate job before Fire Gang. So you might not have like a lot of relevant experience in the way things used to be. But how does it feel doing things the way that they are now in Fire Gang? It's interesting how like it changed, you know, because going from reading like the four hour work week, you know, I want as far away from like corporate type business. However, the larger that our company grew and the larger my responsibility grew, the more I'm interested in consuming resources based off of more traditionally done business. So I want to see how things are structured properly and set up, you know, from companies that have lived through the test of time. I'm more interested in those resources now than things that are a bit like new or modern. It's like Jake said at the beginning of the show, the things that got us here aren't necessarily the things that are going to bring us forward. And so it's like we have to continue to innovate on these ideas. That rings very true for me. Awesome, guys. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. When's your birthday, Corey? June 10th. I want to circle around on June 11th and see if there is a voicemail. so interesting to talk with Jake and Corey on this week's episode. Sort of say this, I think that this mentor-mentee opportunity is real and it's something that we've been doing in our business for years. And like Jake, I think that this is a way to out-innovate your competition. There is somewhat of a competitive advantage having these young minds around your business that are able to move fast and freely within the organization. This interview also got me thinking about my own life how I've had many mentors and how I'm now mentoring and how I would imagine the people I am mentoring will one day also go on to be mentors. And that's what's really cool about this is we are a group of people that have self-identified as having an abundance mindset. We have knowledge and information are doing so well with that knowledge and information that we'd like to see others benefit with it as well. Are these people going to leave our organizations? Yes, of course, one day, probably to start their business. But yes, it's okay, because I think that means that you're doing this mentorship thing right if they go and leave and start their own organization. Love to hear your comments about this show or anything apprenticeship, mentor-related. See you next week. 
Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.